Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Chronicle sports columnist Scott Osler, who was vital to our coverage all season. During our conversation, we broke down Bob Myers' to-do list for a pivotal offseason. Scott, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. Um, it's been a couple weeks, but a lot has happened, most notably the Warriors' season has ended. I think a lot sooner than many of us assumed or expected, especially given how they finished the that regular season, winning 15 of their final 20 games. I think we all thought they would at least get into the first round of the playoffs. But here we are uh, on Tuesday, May 25th, and they've already stopped playing for several days. Um, the playoffs are going on with – I think it's your fault. They lost both you playing. Got our, got our hopes all up. You got our hopes all up, man. We – you had us convinced that this was a team of destiny and that we we're going to make some noise destiny in the playoffs. Of losing in the first round to Utah. That's what I thought their destiny was. Or yeah, maybe right. But, uh, you know, they lost both play in tournament games, an ap- absolute epic game against the Lakers. Um, yeah. Just got outdueled down the stretch by LeBron. Not, yep. not an embarrassing loss by any stretch of the imagination, just a tough one. And then a couple of days later, they go out and they lose at home to, to an inspired Grizzlies team. Yeah. They pushed it to overtime, but didn't have it down the stretch. And so here we are, you know, earlier than I think we thought we're, we're convening on the pod to discuss the off season. We've, these, these are all topics I think we've hit on in the past, in the past, because even, even when we were talking a lot about the playing tournament, we all knew what really mattered was 20, 21, 22 next season, you know, when, when hopefully they'll be able to vault back into contention and, and really compete for something. But yeah. um, to do that, they need to make the most of this offseason. And I think that this is the most important offseason Bob Myers has ever had. Um, he's been the GM of the Warriors now since 2012, so almost a decade. He's had some important offseasons, but I don't think any offseason has been more important just in terms of the fact that these decisions I think can be the difference between them being legitimate bona fide contenders and having little to no chance yeah. of contention. And if there's one thing we learned this season is that the Warriors need to do everything in their power to maximize Steph and Draymond and that, and for that matter, Clay Thompson's prime. Um, the fact that Steph played at an MVP caliber this season and Draymond played at a defensive player of the year caliber and was, had one of his best facilitating facilitating seasons of his career, and they still did not make the playoffs, I think is unacceptable to be yeah. quite frank. I think it's it's not okay. Um, you can't have two of the best players in the league, two future Hall of Famers, deliver two of the best seasons of their careers in their 30s and just waste it like that. Like I know that they weren't going to win a title this year, but – there's something to be said for at least getting to the postseason, at least at least having a playoff berth, you know, to reward them for all their efforts. Yeah, when you're talking about Myers' offseason, this is he's just got to make one move. He's got to make one. Well, he's probably going to make four or five moves, but he's got to make one big key move, uh, whether it involves Weissman or something like that. But getting a, a key player in to maximize that, you know, I, I think a lot of people who disagree with you and I that that say 
for instance, on Wiseman, that you got to keep around because you, you don't want to mortgage the future. You don't want to trade away your draft picks. Uh, they're forgetting people I think, that feel that way are forgetting that you don't get a uh, Steph Curry every five years, every 10 years, or every 15 years. The Warriors have been around since, what, 1949 or something like that. And this is they get one Steph Curry. So you don't mess it up. You do whatever you can to maximize that. And the fact that he's there at, at on Draymond's also at the peak and Clay's coming back, potentially rusty, but rested after two years, that's a monster trio, man. That just doesn't happen. You got to. Yeah, and there, there's no guarantees of anything, right? I mean, it's right. easy to say, okay, you know, just kind of regroup and then, you know, try to do the best they can next season. And then, and then 2022, 23, once, you know, James Wiseman's fully healthy and Clay has a year under his belt, then try to chase the title. It's like, well, by then, you know, Steph will be on the verge of turning 35. Yeah. You know, Draymond will be turning 33. Clay will be turning 33. You know, yeah. you can't, you can't think like that. You need no. to, you need to do everything in your power to win next season when Steph's turning 34, Draymond's turning 32, and Clay's turning 32. Yeah. Um, because you're already have a, you already have a huge luxury the fact that those three guys are still in their primes, yep. potentially. Um, and you can't expect a ton more than that. I mean, we know that Steph's people have said he's, he's going to be at a high level for maybe five more years. And I think there's a chance, but you never know. You never know. So you just, you need to, you need to do it now. You need to make that big swing. You need to – I've always been a proponent of not mortgaging the future. Until Me too. I, I'm with yeah. you. I've always been the last guy. To, don't trade away that top draft pick, man. You got a top three or five. Yeah. I've, always now, I've changed my, I've changed my opinion. The blueprint of the Spurs, try to be relevant long-term. Yeah. That's gone out the window, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, if they need to – if they need to mortgage everything to win another title with Steph – and then after Steph retires or declines in production, they have to fully rebuild for a long time. Yep. It'll be worth it. It'll be yep. worth it if they win another title. Yep. But um, to me, the worst thing they could do is just like be mediocre for the next couple of years, be like a fringe playoff team or like a, a playoff team that maybe gets to the second round of the playoffs and doesn't win anything. And then Steph's done and Clay and, and Draymond are done. And then you're still not very good. Yeah. You know, that that would be worst case yeah. scenario. So one of the worst things in sports is to be average because I, you're not, could, you're not yeah. stockpiling an asset for the future and you're not winning now. So they need to, they need to think like that. And so a couple of days ago, right after the season ended, I did a, I did an off season primer where I basically looked at Bob Myers to do list this off season and the, the biggest things that he needs to navigate. And so I basically wanted to go through that with you and talk about uh, the challenges facing Bob and, and what they need to accomplish to ensure that they can be well positioned to return to contention next season. Um, the first thing that I have on my list here on his to-do list is sign Steph Curry to a contract extension. Now, this is kind of a foregone conclusion. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. Um, the Warriors can sign him to a four-year, $215 million extension this summer. And I know that sounds like a lot for someone who's about to turn 30, 
34, you know, turned 33 a, a, a few months ago. Um, but if anyone warrants that kind of money at that age, it's Steph Curry. Um, you know, yes, he would be making around $60 million under this new deal at age 37. And there's no guarantees what he'll look like at 37. But this is someone who's meant so much to the franchise. Since he since he joined the Warriors, the Warriors went from a laughing stock in nationally. Uh, you know, when the Warriors new ownership group, uh, not new at this point, but when Joe Lacob and Peter Goober bought the Warriors for, I think it was like 350 million, right? Um, yeah. Now they're now a little over 10 years later, they're valued at over five billion dollars. <laughs> And Steph is the biggest reason for that. Yes. Um, the evolution of Steph into an international phenomenon. And so you like, if they didn't have the salary cap, you could make the argument that Steph deserves to be paid a billion dollars a year. Yeah. Just no, I, of, and plus, you know, there was a few, you know, he signed that at one point, Steph signed that contract when his ankles were still a question, signed a kind of team friendly contract. It was a, a gamble both ways, but it turned out to be a phenomenal low ball figure and the way I'm looking at it, what they've done so far in the three championships and the five years in a row to the finals, if Steph, if they sign Steph Curry to that max deal for five, four years, uh, 215, um, if he never played another game, blew out an ankle or decided to become a, a monk or something, if he never played another game, he would be worth it. They gave him 250 million bucks to walk away. I know people have wondered why, what's taking so long. My understanding is just Steph doesn't like to deal with this stuff in the se- in, in season. So I think right. he's giving himself a couple of days now that the season's over and then they'll, they'll get it done. I don't, I don't think it's anything to be worried about. I don't right. think he read too much into it. Uh, he'll resign and he'll resign at the max and Joe Laka will give him every penny and not question it because he's yeah. not a dumb man. Um, he's willing yeah. to spend when he needs to spend, especially when you're talking about someone like Steph Curry. All right. So next on our to-do list, and this is to me, maybe the most important thing facing the Warriors this off season, that is figure out what to do with James Wiseman. You wrote a really interesting column a couple of days ago that basically made the argument and you detailed it. I thought pretty well uh, for why the Warriors should look into seriously trading James Wiseman this summer. That column, I check our numbers like in our, our system every day. That column was the most, one of the most read columns we've had all year. One of the most read sports stories we've had all year. The numbers have been insane. The interest in this topic is crazy. I think it also just shows how polarizing of a topic it is. Cause I know a lot of the feedback you've gotten has been, telling you that you're crazy yeah how could they give up on james wiseman what would you say to someone who says that to you well i would say that i never suggested they give up on him uh or or that they don't have faith in him or don't think he's going to become a a really good player maybe a great player it's just that the the basic thing is the timelines don't coincide the timeline for james wiseman's career he's, he's still super young he's got like 39 games when you count out college and everything, he's got like 45 games since high school. So he, he's he's not going to develop this coming season into a, a big time star. He's probably going to need another season on top of that, maybe a couple. And the Warriors need to, as we just talked about, they need to do something now. So it's not that I or you or anybody 
doesn't think Wiseman's a good guy and worth uh, developing and all that stuff. It's just that the timing is bad. That they, they, you know, and like I, like I wrote in my column, three or four years from now, they could just be crushed by Wiseman. He could come in and just kick their ass five or six times a year and just embarrass them because he'd be a superstar. It'd still be worthwhile if they can get something for him and, and beef up the team for the next couple of years to maximize the Steph Curry window. So I think everybody loves Wiseman. Good guy. You did a huge feature on him and his upbringing and really fascinating, you know, homeless uh, and, and poverty stricken. And his, his mom just had to work so hard to get him going a really heartwarming story and, and a tribute to the, the James Weissman and his character and everything, what he's done. Seems like a marvelous guy, but uh, it's a business, man. If, they, if, if the Warriors can get it going for the next year or two and they have to lose him, then, you know, but, but I, I, nobody's, certainly me or you, are not saying that the guy's not any good or anything. Yeah, and, and look, it's not, to me, it's not just the timeline thing. I think, I think the timeline thing is important. Um, especially when you get, when you consider the fact that he's going to miss his entire off season rehabbing from knee surgery. And if, right. if you know anything about the NBA, we know that all the work is done in the off season, your development, yeah. it really is tied to the work you do in the off season. And this, during the season, you just see the, the rewards from that. Yeah. But the fact that he's not having an off season really uh, could set back his development by an entire, an entire season. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not, he's, he might not be ready to go by the start of the season. He might miss a few weeks, maybe even a month or two of the season. By the time he comes back, he's probably going to have to be on a minutes restriction. It's very possible. He could be on a minutes restriction all next season. I don't think it's realistic to expect him to be a bona fide starting center at any point next season. Um, I think if you keep him, you have to take all the pressure off of him. You have to have learned from this season and, and not have any mixed messaging, be very direct and say, he is going to be our backup center behind Kavon Looney. And he's going to play 15 at most 20 minutes a night. Right. Um, and he's going to be, you know, a lob threat type, you know, shot blocking prototypical big who comes in and eats yeah. up some minutes here and there for Kavon, who was great this season probably the best season of his career and was much more uh, adept at helping this team team win games than, than, than James was. And, and uh, I, I agree with you. I think James is going to end up being a good player in this league. I think he's got all-star potential. You saw flashes of it. He has a really unique skill set, especially for someone his size, but the thing, and I've said this a million times, I'll say it again. My big reservation about James Wiseman is his feel for the game and his passing, his lack of passing ability. Yeah. yeah. The Warriors in that system, they need a passing big. They need someone who can read the floor and be kind of a fulcrum of that offense. That's why they they haven't traditionally had big name centers because they don't need them. They're at their best when they have guys like David West and Andrew Bogut and Zaza Pachulia anchoring the interior and kicking out to, to open centers. And James isn't that he hasn't been that he will. I don't think he'll ever be that. I don't think passing abilities and court vision is something that you just suddenly pick up. It's not like study, you study film and suddenly or know how to do it. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's more 
innate it's more inherent it's it's more intangible um, well you know what one one way that uh and thinking about the passing stuff is he's at a disadvantage because in a way because he's an american because the big guy when he came up all the way through the system high school aau ball whatever he played tiny bit in college but he's always been the big guy and the, the scoring threat and all that stuff passing was never a priority whereas you get a guy like Jokic or, you know, Bogut, because he, he grew up in, in uh, you know, he played in America, but he grew up on, on foreign ball where they were the big guys. There's more emphasis on passing. They learn how to pass. The big guys in, in Europe and stuff learn how to pass. That's that's a key part of their game. Um, but the, the big guys in the United States don't always learn that so much. So Wiseman's way behind the curve in that. And one of the things I've realized about the Warriors – system and just how they operate is the most important skill for any new new player for the Warriors is just a feel for the game a high mm -hmm. basketball IQ because so much of it is read and react some of it so much of it you're making decisions on the fly you can't overthink things you just need to understand angles and and how plays evolve and that is one reason why Juan Descona Anderson has been so good right uh this season as like a borderline elite role player is because he sees the floor so well, he makes the right decisions. And I just don't see James having that. And I know it's a lot of, a lot of that is because he's navigating a huge learning curve and he's 20 years old, but I just wonder if he's ever going to develop that. And the bottom line is they're probably one big swing away from being legit contenders. And by that, I mean having like one other piece, like real difference maker. And there aren't a lot of paths to get that guy. They don't, because they're deep in the luxury tax, they don't have the ability to go sign a big name free agent. Right. So you're probably going to have to do it through a trade. And you don't have a ton of assets. You have a couple assets. But one of your big assets is James. Right. You have James Wiseman, your top three protected pick from Minnesota, which, given where the Timberwolves landed, is probably going to land in that 7-8 range in a draft where the top five guys are really the ones that are considered elite prospects. Um, so you have those two, and then you have your late lottery pick that you got from missing the playoffs. And then – you know, if you could package all of the, all three of those, maybe you can get like a true all-star caliber guy if one becomes available, like a, a DeMontis Sabonis from Indiana or someone like that. Um, and if that's if that's possible, I think you have to strongly consider it because there just isn't another way to do that. You know, and keep in mind you would have to also include like another big contract just to match salaries because you're in the luxury tax. Um and that would have to probably be Wiggins, who Andrew Wiggins has been a really helpful player on both ends of the floor. So that's a big loss in itself. So it'd have to be a big name player. Another option would be a sign and trade with Ubre. And we'll get into that later as a, as a possibility. But the bottom line is Wiseman would almost would definitely have to be included in that deal yeah. to make a deal like that happen. And I don't think that Wiseman is untradeable by any realm of the imagination he's not Steph he's not Draymond he's not Clay um and I think that by trading him 
you're also taking a lot of pressure off of the organization and off Steve Kerr. You saw how much they struggled this season with what they call threading the needle to trying to develop him and win now. And I worry that you're still going to struggle with that as long as he's here the next couple of years. Cause I still yeah. think a couple of years away from being like a dominant force in this league, if he'll ever even get to that point. And so you're taking some pressure off and I think it's just, it would make everyone's job so much easier. It's not a coincidence that they turned the season around when he went down Yeah, with that season ending knee injury. Yeah. And it's both ends of the court because his offense is a work in progress, although he you know, had some nice games and, some, and did some nice scoring things and has a decent shot and everything. But his defense was really probably more deficient than his, his offense, Wiseman. So he's got a lot of development, development to go there. And, that, and you know, this is a team that runs on defense, and they're top five defense this year, right? It, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be fascinating. I'm not, I'm not sure there even is a move. Um, in terms of like getting an all-star guy, I'm not sure anyone's going to be available. Right. They very well might have to go into next season. Yeah. And like I said, I think you would just have to take the pressure off of him in that situation. That's the only thing you can do that makes sense. Um, but as I wrote yesterday, you know, there have been a few examples of situations like this. The one that comes to mind the most is the early 2000s Blazers. Um, they were the jailblazer era. They were very talented with Rasheed Wallace, David Stoudemire, Bonzi Wells, all those guys. They had lost in game seven of the Western Conference Finals to Shaq and Kobe and the Lakers. And they decided, this is our window. We have like one or two more years. We have to win now. So they had Jermaine O'Neal at the end of their bench. He was drafted at age 17. He, he hadn't really done anything his first couple of years in the league. You can see the flashes. But they basically decided we're tired. We can't wait any longer. Like you're a huge asset. We need someone who's going to help maximize this window. So they traded him for Dale Davis, who was like a legitimate starting center with the Pacers had just been an all-star back when it was easy to be an all-star as an Eastern conference center. Uh, but he came in and was like a legitimate starting center for a few years for them, but they didn't win the title. They didn't even make the finals. And Jermaine O'Neal blossoms into a six-time All-Star for the Pacers, ends up, yeah. you know, leading their rebuild and, and making them a really good team in the Eastern Conference. And that story might be an example of why it's good to hold on to someone like Wiseman. But I also look at that and I say, that still made a lot of sense at the time. And I think the Warriors, if they decided to trade Wiseman right now, it would make sense. We'll have more of my conversation with Scott Osler right after the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So next is try to ensure Kelly Oubre Jr. doesn't leave for nothing. Um, which we kind of touched upon this a little bit, but the bottom line with Kelly Oubre is, uh, you know, he's an unrestricted free agent um, this summer. He 
he's coming off a season where he put up overall he put up decent numbers, averaged about 16 points per game, six rebounds. Um, wasn't super efficient. Um, but if you look at the deeper analytics, I don't think he was a great fit, you know, for what they try to do. He he deviated from their motion principles a lot to kind of hunt his own shot. He sacrificed, I thought, the team ethos and what the team was trying to accomplish for his own numbers at times. Um, and then I don't think he was quite as good defensively as a lot of people want to say. I've heard people say he was as good as Wiggins this year. Defensively, I strongly disagree with that. I don't even think he was as good as Kent Bazemore defensively. They were far better this season when he was not playing than when he was playing. And there's a reason why when he came back initially from that wrist injury, Steve decided to keep starting Kim Bazemore because they were actually better with Kim Bazemore, even though Kim Bazemore is not as sexy of a player, as flashy of a player. And so I don't think he's a great fit. Um, I don't I don't think that, you know, he's going to be the guy that puts you over the top and, and, and helps you win a title next season. That being said, I think they need to do what they can to re-sign him. Because as we talked about earlier, they don't really have any pass to add a big name free agent. They can re-sign because they have Uber's bird rights. They can re-sign him up to the max, but they can't pay that type of money to anyone else who's an unrestricted free agent on another yeah. team. So even though Kelly Uber is not a great fit for them, he's a talented player who I think has some value in the league. And I think you need to try to re-sign him so that you can use him as a trade ship or some sort of asset down the line. Maybe you can convince him for a while to play a role off the bench and he can be helpful if he buys into that. But I don't think you're resigning him for that reason. I think you're resigning him as an asset when you don't have a lot of past assets. It's the same reason yeah. they orchestrated that signing trade for DeAndre Russell. They didn't, they didn't think that DeAndre Russell was a good fit when they signed him or when they brought him in. But they brought him in because they didn't have any other past to bring in a player of that caliber. And at the end of the day, talent is what moves the needle in terms of reloading and retooling. And so uh, I think if I'm them, I know that they're already facing a massive luxury tax bill. I would be willing to overpay him like significantly just to resign him. You know, there's been talk about 15 to 20 million for him. I actually think it's going to be lower. I think it's going to be closer to 10, maybe even lower than that. Mm -hmm. Um, The word is out on Kelly Oubre. He's been a minus player his entire career. His plus minus every year he's been in the league has been a negative. He doesn't serve winning for any yeah. team. It's not a total coincidence that the Suns became so much better after they got rid of him. Yes, yeah. they got back Chris Paul, who's a Hall of Fame point guard. But the, that it was almost for them, it was even though he put up career numbers for them last season, it was almost a bit addition by subtraction. And I think teams are aware of that. So I think that the Warriors could maybe convince him to come back next season, even in a bench role if they offered him like 12 to 15 million Um, because at the end of the day, I think players tend to value money more than they value starting or coming off the bench. And if they are able to resign it, maybe they can orchestrate like a signing trade where they can parlay it into a massive trade exception like they did with Iguodala, which can help them down the line. And maybe they can even parlay it into like a difference making rotation caliber player now. Yeah. But the worst case scenario would be to let him walk in free agency for nothing because right, right. he's an yeah. asset and you want to use him as an asset. If you, if you 
let him walk for nothing. You might as well trade him for something. At yeah. this time, right. So well, that, that's where it's good to have an owner like uh, Lakeup, I guess, who is willing to uh, spend a little bit extra cash that maybe some owners wouldn't to, to do a deal like that. You know, Joe's one thing about Lakeup, whatever you say about him, he's never, he's never looking to cut corners when it comes to building a rebuilding a winning team. So, and, uh, and Uber, you, you know, the, the word with him and you, and you said it is fit. And it's the same with Wiseman in a way. Um, every team in the league has a different style and everything, but I think the Warriors more so than maybe any other team have a certain requirement. You know, you, it's, it's harder to fit on the Warriors than any other team. You know, they have. A, it's harder to play with people than people realize. I mean, I know people think, oh, it's Steph, he's one of the greatest players ever. It's so easy to play with him. He, he spaces the floor, blah, blah, blah. That's true, but he's such a unique player. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to figure out how he plays because all these guys who grew up in AAU and stuff, I've never played with anyone like him. He has such a frenetic yeah. style. Um, sometimes it can take players an entire season to figure out how to play with him. And I think Ubre is kind of an example of that. I mean, even before he got injured at the end of the season, he was still running into to staff. He was he didn't seem to know he was going to be on the floor. Right. Um, and you saw it a couple of times where Steph got visibly angry, like, dude, what, what are you doing? Like, why are you right. standing here? You know, right. I should be here. Like, yeah. like, it's like, it's like being in a play and someone not, or being in a dance routine and someone not knowing their choreography. It's like, dude, you're making us look bad here. Um, and so uh, the next one is uh, maximize their lottery picks. And the, the S in picks is in parentheses because we don't know for sure if they have multiple. Um, but as we talked about earlier, the Warriors had the top three protected, protected pick from Minnesota. But Minnesota ended up going on a little bit of a late season surge uh, with the new coach and Anthony Edwards playing at a rookie of the year level. And uh, they finished with the sixth worst record in the league, which is kind of a coup for them because they had been around the worst record in the league most of the season. Um, so because of that, the Warriors only have a 9.6% chance of Minnesota's top three pick uh, conveying to them at number four. Uh, they have no chance actually at number five. And then they have a 62.9% shot at numbers six through 10. Um, that's important because this draft has what's widely considered to be five elite prospects in Kate, Oklahoma State's Kate Cunningham, USC's Evan Mobley, Gonzaga's Jalen Suggs and G League Ignites, Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Green. All those guys are believed to be potential all-stars. Not saying they will be, but they have the chance to be all-stars. Um, there's no, the rest of the guys in the league, there are the rest of the guys in this draft pool, um, you know, could have a chance, but they're not, they don't have that level of upside or, or it's just not as clear that they have that type of chance as, as those other five guys. So once you get past five in this draft, it's going to be a really random uh, – it's really going to be anyone's guess who gets drafted because some teams have guys projected as like the sixth best player in this draft that might be like a late first-round pick to other teams. I mean, there's a really wide range. And so because of that, that the top five pick has a much higher trade value than if it falls in the six to ten range. It's looking like it's probably going to fall to the Warriors at seven or eight, 
Warriors have over a 50% chance of it conveying at seven or eight. Um, that would still have trade value, but it wouldn't have as much trade value if it landed at four. Um, that being said, the Warriors, because they missed the playoffs, and this is actually a silver lining to them losing to the Grizzlies, they have a late lottery pick. They have their own lottery pick, which is going to be four, probably 14th, but it has an outside chance of going higher in the draft. You know, even a, I think a 2% chance of conveying to number four, um, the top four, which would be huge. Yeah. Um, so you, you, the, the bottom line is the Warriors don't really need to get younger right yeah. now. They need to they need to get as many proven players with playoff experience as possible, and ideally a difference maker who's proven. And so, I think you would want to ideally package those in, for trade for someone who can help you right away. Maybe you even pa- try to package those and move up into the top three, um, and get someone like Jalen Suggs, who yes, he's young, but. He's as ready made as any of these guys. Cunningham and 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 Suggs, I think, could both come in from day one and be bona fide six men for a winning team right away. Yeah. Um, which I don't think you can say about anyone else in this. Yeah. So it'll be really interesting. June twenty second is a very important day for this franchise. That's the day of the draft lottery. That's the day that they learn what pick they're gonna get and. Uh, you know, but regardless, I don't think that they're going to make both of those picks, assuming the Minnesota pick does come back. Um, I don't think they're going to make both of them because you just there's just no need to get younger right now. Yeah. The next one is round out the roster. And, Scott, I want your thoughts on this. In your mind, who on the roster now 100% deserves a spot on the roster next season. And don't even worry about contracts. Don't worry about who's guaranteed for next season. Don't worry about any of that. Who, based off their performance this season, in your mind, should be on the Warriors roster in 2021-22? I think Steph Curry should be on the roster. (laughs) You're you're talking about – you're not talking about Draymond, Steph, and Clay, right? Well, beyond them. They're obviously – so you got three guys right there. Who who beyond them? Well, Wiggins. Yeah. Although, you know, if he wanted being a – Trade piece. I would much rather see uh, Kelly Oubre sign and trade kind of deal on, and keep Wiggins because to me, um, he's a guy who, unlike Oubre, did make adjustment, maybe not 100%, but maybe 80% from being clueless about the Warrior system to fitting into the Warrior system. And, and I think he really became uh, like a, a good fit for the Warriors for the second half of the season and down the stretch. And he was a, um, uh, you know, he's not as colorful and flashy in some ways as Kelly Oubre, who, who is more athletic than almost anybody in the league. But he's just – he was really steady and, and solid and everything. So I'd like to see him back. Uh, Jordan Poole um, seemed to have earned – he made some big advancements. He seemed to have earned a, a spot, you know. He's, he, he looks like he's a guy who could have real value. And uh, and Juan Toscano Anderson, your guy, who you wrote a great feature story about, uh, it's hard to see him <laughs> when you think about his, his pedigree and everything, he shouldn't even, even, be, even be in the league, but it's hard to see him not. I mean, talk about being a fit, that guy's a fit for the, and I, I just, it seems like he should be around. Right. And who else, you know, Bazemore, uh, less so than Toscano Anderson, but Bazemore, I think would have a, a spot there. And then Kevon Looney. Yeah. Of course, Looney. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And another yeah. guy who made it had a huge season this year. You know, he you talked about you. And he was amazing. His rebounding, yeah. his defense, just the simple fact that he was able to play 30 plus minutes a night. He yeah. came so far from where he was a year ago. Yeah. At the start of the season, if you would have said, uh, uh, Kevon Lee is going to play a big part and they're going to be a really effective team and, and be strong and finish 15 and five and all that stuff. I would have thought, no, nah, I don't think so. Not, not really. I mean, we all, I, I love just wondered if he was ever going to play in the NBA again. That's how bad right. that previous season was, yeah. but he was so good this season that I would actually feel completely comfortable going into next season with him as my starting center. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. Um, to me, they have seven guys from this season's team that 100% not only should be on the roster next season, but warrant meaningful rotation roles. Um, those being, like you said, Steph, Clay, Draymond, Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney, Jordan Poole, and Juan Descano-Anderson. Jordan yeah. Poole and Juan Descano-Anderson, um, based off what they did in the latter half of the season, I think proved that they can be legitimate top eight men of the rotation for a winning team. Um, I, I feel very comfortable, especially with Juan Descano-Anderson. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He does so many things well. He plays so hard. Uh, he's so versatile. He unlocks a lot of lineups. He's arguably the third best passer behind Draymond and Steph. Um, I would actually be okay with him being my sixth man next season, which I know, I know sounds crazy, but it's true. Yeah. And then Jordan Poole, I'm not as high on Jordan because he still makes a lot of mistakes and he's inconsistent. But he's got this wiggle to his game. He has this X factor that is special. And I think he can be a legitimate scoring punch off the bench as like a seventh, eighth man next season. Steve even went as far to say as he could be a sixth man next season. I would not love it if he was my sixth man next season, but there are worse options to have yeah. in that role than him. And I was super impressed with what he did in some high-stakes games to finish the season. What he did in that Grizzlies game, he he almost helped them pull that out, come back from that deficit and pull that out in overtime. He had 19 points off the bench on efficient shooting. You learn a lot about a player in terms of what they – from what they do in high-stakes games. And what he did in that game, I think, said a lot. He was also good in the previous game against the Grizzlies, uh, which had a lot of stakes and implications. So, yeah, no, I, I think he's important. And – there's a few other guys that I think could come back. And I think it's just going to depend on what, what shakes out with the rest of the roster and the decisions they make in free agency and uh, free agency and the draft and those sorts of things. But Kent Bazemore, definitely a helpful player. Um, I think he'll come back as a, you know, eighth, ninth, 10th man next season. Um, like a really just solid three and D guy, uh, fits well with Steph, knows how to play off Steph. I would be more than happy to have him on the roster next season. <laughs> and then there's guys like Damian Lee and Michael Mulder. I don't think you're going to have all three of those guys back. I don't think you're going to have Bazemore, Mulder, and Lee back. Um, but Lee and Mulder have both showed enough to believe that they can be helpful players in the rotation next season. Um, I think between I think it's probably going to come down to Mulder and Lee, and I think they'd go with Lee because he has more of a proven track record. Has been with the team longer. It doesn't hurt that he has the Steph Curry tie, uh, Steph's brother-in-law. But he's he's clutch. He's probably a little bit overall better overall player than Michael Mulder. Um, probably better defense. Played pretty well to end the season. So I think I think Mulder's proven he's an NBA player, but he might it might not be with the Warriors next season. 
Um, and then you have guys like um, you have guys like Alan Smiley Gage, who's who's going to get cut. Uh, he's not an NBA player at this point in his career. Uh, he'll go overseas or the G League. And then Eric Pascal, uh, who's um, yeah, he's it's he it's a weird turn of events. The NBA is a weird place. He goes from first ball <laughs> rookie to like wondering if he's even an NBA player. Right. Yeah. Well, he was in the right spot last last season. Yeah. I mean, he didn't. He really struggled this season. He was dealing with a bunch of injuries. Um, but when he was healthy and he was playing, he uh, he just wasn't effective in any role outside of being like a small ball five, who can kind of take advantage of, of mismatch situations and given the makeup of the roster next season and given the fact that you got to give 25 plus minutes a night to Juan Scott Anderson I just don't see a situation where you're going to be able to play Eric much at the small ball five right so well, we're talking about the, the word fit he, you know he's a, he's got some really good scoring instincts you know he's a kind of a natural scorer he doesn't he, rebound much and yeah the thing and, is he's not a very well, well-rounded player like he's he, the reason he got put up numbers as a rookie is because the Warriors were so decimated that they needed someone just to go put, put up buckets. So they were willing to throw out their movement-heavy principles just yeah. to let him beat guys at ISO and get buckets because they had no one else to get buckets. And that's right. how he was first-team all-rookie. And that's a good ability to have, but he doesn't – he's not a great rebounder for his position. He's not a great uh, – he's not a great passer. He's not right. – uh, a great defender. He's horrible on health side defense and he's okay one-on-one. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, but he is already guaranteed for next season and he's at a minimum deal. So there there's worse people to round out your roster with than him. You know, if he's your 14th, 15th guy, I don't think that's the end of the world. Um, you can bring him back, but you know, he also might have a little bit of trade value based off what he did as a rookie and, Maybe there's a team where their system fits him better that would be willing to give up somewhat of a piece for him, even if, even if it's like a late first round pick or just, I don't know, just like a helpful fringe rotation guy. Yeah. Um, at this point, I'd be fine doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, you, so we're going into the next season with seven guys that are definitely need to be on the roster. We'll say up to like nine guys that we feel comfortable with in this season's game on next year's roster. And then you have the you have the mids you have the mid level exception. Uh, we didn't even talk about James Wiseman, by the way, in this last conversation. <laughs> James Wiseman very well could be on the yeah. We've written him off already. Sorry, so we'll say like ten guys. Um, you have the mid level exception for six point three mil, and then you basically just have minimum contracts. Um, and then you have two draft picks. Like I said, I don't think they're going to use both draft picks, but it's going to be really important for them to maximize that mid-level exception and, and maximize those minimum contracts. Yeah. And Bob Myers said yesterday, asked very bluntly, what is he prioritizing in this offseason? He said, floor spacing big and a playmaking guard. Now, the reaction to that was they already have Jordan Poole. Just because you have one playmaking guard doesn't mean you don't want another one. Yeah. You, know, like you, you need more playmaking off the bench. And so um, there's, there's a few guys available um, where they can, that they can do that with. And I think just looking at the available free agents, my best case scenario for this team would be to sign, 
to sign Patty Mills and um, Patty Mills and Wayne Ellington to close to minimum contracts, if yeah. which would be a bargain for those guys. But if you can sign those guys for close to, to minimum, you have Patty Mills as a legit backup point guard who can help with just facilitating and initiating the offense. And then you have um, another floor spacer in Wayne Ellington, who in my mind is just kind of like a better version of Michael Mulder or even Damian Lee. Um, He shot over 40% on a bad Detroit team. And it's hard to shoot over 40% from three on a bad team because there's no flow. You don't have any space. And so that was impressive. He's been a really good 3 and D guy his whole career. He's reliable. He's got a lot of playoff experience. Um. Patty Mills as well also has a ton of playoff experience, is reliable. Those are the types of guys they need to be thinking about. I'm not even saying those are the guys they're going to sign, but those are the types of guys they want to sign. Yeah. And then on the mid-level, I think a best-case scenario would be Kelly Olenek, uh, who just put up numbers with Houston. Um, the, the Rockets were not good, and they needed someone to score, but he was hyper-efficient, um, averaged 19 points, uh, well over 50% shooting, almost – 39% from three, um, average eight rebounds in about, about 30 minutes per game. So, look, I'm not expecting to put those numbers up, but I think he'd be a great value on a mid-level being get him. Um, yeah, well, two, the guys, two of the guys you mentioned, uh, Patty Mills and, and Kelly Olenek, would bring uh, an element that the Warriors could use, which is really a toughness, you know, an edge. Yeah. They both kind of play with an edge and, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of meanness and everything. Yeah, so, uh, and bringing Patty back to the Bay Area, man, that would be sensational. So the Warriors can sign those three guys potentially. Yeah. Um, and r- round out their roster, and even if they don't make a big swing, like again, like an all-star caliber guy, I think that they're putting themselves in a position to contend potentially. Um, they just can't they can't strike out a bunch of free agency like they did last year. Right. Bob yeah. Myers was completely candid today, like or yesterday when he talked to us, and he said there were a bunch of vet guys that we really wanted who we finished second place with. And, you know, we had guys tell us, look, if play hadn't gotten injured, we would have signed with you. And right. so he basically admitted publicly, like Brad Wanamaker and Kent Bazemore, who were the two guys they signed were like plan D or E or F, you know, yep. was, that was not plan A yep. at all. And, uh, you know, we know that one of those guys was Mark Gasol, who would have been great. Yeah. Um, but I think Kelly Olenek should be that guy for them this year. Yeah. So the Warriors have a lot of uncertainty, but they could be in a worse spot. Um, but as, as Steve Kerr said yesterday, look, bottom line is, even though you can talk about the circumstances, you can talk about Clay being out, but the bottom line is we didn't make the playoffs. And so since we didn't make the playoffs, we're really not that close. That being said, I think there's a path and it might, it might involve trading James Wiseman. Who knows? But I read this really co- good column the other day that, that laid it out. And uh, if you haven't <laughs> read it already, go read it. Um, it's getting a lot of traction for good reason. It's a well done column that hits on an important topic. Scott, where can our readers find your stuff and, and follow you on Twitter? Uh, and on Twitter at Scott Osler and at, at, uh, SanFranciscoChronicle.com, SFChronicle.com. Thank you. And uh, Scott, will, I'm sure you'll be continuing to write stuff all off season. As I tweeted out the other day, I uh, I will still be 
hitting the main points on the Warriors this offseason, but I also will be expanding my scope a bit and writing Enterprise on other topics. Uh, so don't be shocked if you see me writing about, like, minor league baseball or uh, minor league soccer or, you know, Division Two athletics or some weird stuff because uh, I'm just trying to tell good stories and hit at the intersection of sports and society. And sometimes that takes me away from the beat, but uh, I'll still be there for the stuff that matters. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, – I want to see some video of you riding the buses in the single-A league with a 19-year-old future prospects. Man, I'm looking forward to that. And by the way, man, I'm just throwing, throwing a quick uh, kind of ass-kissing plug. But uh, this was a really interesting season for the, the Warriors, you know, ups and downs. And there was some compelling – it was a compelling season. It was, it, it was really kind of riveting in a lot of ways and, and meaningful. And you brought it home, man. You did a great job that there's not – maybe a lot of people don't realize what a tough job that is a day-to-day grind of, of covering a team like that and along with rising above with some some sensational long-form feature stories that really brought home uh, to the team so uh you had an all-star year man i appreciate that. <laughs> all nba thanks man i appreciate that um on that note i'm feeling awkward we're gonna let you go thank you so much <laughs> we'll talk soon Our thanks to Scott Oster for joining me on the podcast. Always appreciate his insight on the Warriors. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 